Good day, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Eric's Mediocre Adventures, where we adventure mediocrely. We got a new microphone today, and uh, we're here, I guess, to just, uh, we're going to talk about his dark materials on HBO. Uh, my friend Matthew is going to return for uh, another Batman episode, but for the time being, he he works like two weeks on, two weeks off, or some sort of nonsense like that, and it's his, his two weeks on currently, so he's away. But once he returns, we'll get back back to the Batman stuff. And I wanted something to fill the time. And again, I, st- I, I know I know I should just watch Harry Potter or watch Avengers, but I don't I don't want to. And uh, His Dark Materials season two started. Uh, we're on the second episode now, so the, the second episode just aired on Sunday. Today's Thursday, so the third one's coming. And I thought, hey, I love these books. I love the first show or the first season. Let's, uh, let's, let's talk about, let's do reviews for, for the, you know, the episodes as they come. Uh, so this one's kind of a catch-up one. Uh, so first uh, I thought I'd talk about, like, my general thoughts on the first season. The first season mostly covers, um, the first book, which is The Golden Compass. And, uh, I think the first season was really good. It was a little bit rushed at times. And it took some of the same uh, shortcuts that the movie did, like combining uh, Billy Costa with the character Tony. Uh, so Billy Costa is one of the kids kidnapped by the gobblers. Um, and then there's another kid named Tony who's also kidnapped by the gobblers. And uh, they each have different plots in the book, and then those plots were kind of uh, combined in the uh, in the in the movie, the two thousand seven movie, and then also in the show, and I know why they did it. It's it's to it's you have less people to follow, and then the emotional impact that comes from uh, the storyline involving him, involving Tony, uh, it has a lot more oomph and a lot more meaning when it happens when it turns out to be Billy Costa. Uh, I won't spoil it too much because. Just in case some of you haven't watched it, but yeah, even though I'm going to talk about spoilers, I don't know why I'm not going to, but I'll keep some things, keep keep something secret, I guess. Uh, there are also some major changes to the book, uh, in this first season. So like the show outright tells us very early on that there are other worlds, uh, and that our world is one of them. And we learn uh, very early on that Lord Boreal is from Lyra's world, and he goes to our world often because we see this in a uh, we see him do this a few times. But that's a plot line that was completely introduced in the second book, so there's no mention of any of that, other than um, Azrael seeing the other world in the sky. There's no mention of other worlds. There's no mention of our world. Like it was completely other in the first book and they they introduce our world very early on uh, in the show 
I think only a couple episodes in. They also uh, reveal another major plot line from the second book in this first book, which is the Will Perry story and the search for his father. Um, in the show, we outright know about his father. We know his father is uh, Stanislaus Grumman. And in the books, it's just implied, like up until it isn't. It is implied throughout, and like you're reading the book and you're pretty sure that it's John Perry um, when you were Stanislaus. But uh, until it tells you in the book... There's no confirmation written that you get the confirmation very early on in the first season. And, uh, like I said, we meet Will in the first season, and we get uh, his kind of, like, prologue stuff that's in the second book. We get it in the first season. And this makes sense to me, uh, why they did it. It's easier, I think, to introduce a main character earlier on, and then it gives more people time to know Will and know about the other world so that it's not as jarring when it's suddenly introduced in the second season. Like, boom, here's your second main character who you're probably going to follow just as much or more than Lyra, and surprise, there's other worlds all in the second season, so they kind of, like, they kind of slow spread it throughout so they could get more into the juicy stuff of season two, I suppose, which makes, you know, makes sense. My biggest issue with the first season of the show was the uh, unclear usage of demons, as they would often, like, randomly disappear or not be paid enough attention to. Like, the rules about them wouldn't be followed or they'd be uncleared. Like, they make a point of saying in the show at times that other people can't touch your demon because it feels, like, like painful and uh, your demons can't go too far away from you. Yet there's times where we see, like, Lyra running and Pan is nowhere near her and would be nowhere near her, but he's just not shown. And, like, you can kind of excuse around it, like, oh, maybe he was by her feet and we just didn't see her feet as he was running or whatever, you know. But it was a lot of that kind of stuff happening all over the place where, like, the they set forward these demon rules and then they don't abide by them in the show. And I, and I guess... It's, it's very possible that it was just a budgetary thing, like CGI animals. Maybe it was just too difficult to have them always there. But I think, like, if you're going to do them, if you're going to commit to doing them, do it right. Or use them a lot less. But uh, that might just be me. And I didn't like the rush, like how much they were rushing some things uh, as much, because it made a lot of things not feel as important or momentous as they're supposed to. Or as they perhaps should have. So, like, the uh, the ultimate reveal in the first season uh, that has to do with Lyra's parents, which I won't, I won't give away, but, uh, again, I don't know why. Because uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I spoil it later when I'm talking about other episodes. But the big reveal for that, it's so rushed and kind of, like, in the background that it does not feel nearly as important as it should when it happens, whereas in the book it was one of the like the most important, like shocking moments. So it was weird. Um, and just other things, other moments didn't feel as impactful as they perhaps should have. Um, but it's, 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 it wasn't really enough to, to fully detract from my enjoyment, and I guess it's, it's more nitpicky than anything else, but that's, that's my problem, at least at the first season. But I think the effects were, for the most part, amazing. Uh, the cast is amazing. The story, as ever, uh, is amazing. 
Like, who doesn't want to see two polar bears fight to the death? I think that's... That's about as cool as you can get. <laughs> so, yeah, so season two, as far as I know, is mostly going to be based on uh, the second novel, The Subtle Knife. I would not be surprised to see them uh, start to get into season three and season two, mostly because uh, the second book is quite a bit shorter than both the first and the third books. I think the third book is the longest. So I could see them kind of spending, like, I don't know how many episodes of the season is, maybe maybe eight. I could see them spending five or six episodes on The Subtle Knife, and then the last couple episodes of season two are on uh, Amber Spyglass, and then maybe the rest of the season three is on Amber Spyglass. Like, I don't know how they're going to do it. It's, it, it's going to be interesting. Maybe we'll even get multiple seasons per book instead of one per book. But yeah, so with the... The first season ends with both Lyra and Will uh, kind of concurrently <laughs> going into uh, another world. They enter, essentially enter portals to another world at the same time uh, from their own perspective worlds. Uh, Will, after he accidentally kills someone who's trying to like rob his house, who we know works for Lord Boreal, and then Lyra after, um, after Roger's death and her father like, blows up stuff or whatever and uh, right away right off the beginning things are already different because uh, in the book we follow Will into Chitagatsi and I'm going to say that weird every single time because it's a weird word <laughs> and then he later finds uh, Lyra in this episode it's the exact same situation but they flip it so it's uh, we follow Lyra into Chitagatsi and she goes to a hotel and she's looking around and then she runs into Will so it's, it's pretty much the exact same situation, just backwards. Um, we get to see some of Lyra in this new world before she meets Will, and uh, we get to see already how she's a little bit more jaded towards everything uh, after last season and kind of the, the things that happened to her, which I like. It's like um, you kind of get to see that, that character progression, like someone who experiences that much like of people lying to them and, and the, all these kind of bad things happening to them would probably be a little jaded. Which I think is actually a bit of an improvement from the book, because in the book she pretty much stays the same until Amber Spyglass, other than like getting less spoiled, I guess. <laughs> she also ditched Will right away, which is very different. Uh, in the book, I believe she wanted to be around him for the most part, and he wanted to go on his own until he didn't. We also get some stuff that's completely new. So we have uh, Mrs. Coulter uh, having like a meeting with the Magisterium. We don't see any of this kind of stuff with the Magisterium in the book. Uh, they are a lot more prominent in the show so far. If I remember, like the Magisterium in the second book, at least maybe is maybe in like one or two chapters, if that. But yeah, they're 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 much more important in the show, which makes sense because. Uh, they out of nowhere become so much more important in the third book like they're obviously behind the stuff in the first book but mrs coulter and the gobblers are, are painted as being the ones responsible for the first book and then the second one is is uh everything that's going on there with boreal and chitagatsi uh and then the third one is mostly the magisterium and stuff and i know like ultimately the magisterium has been behind everything blah 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 but uh I like getting to see more of them throughout. 
the you know throughout the seasons. But uh, yeah, we so at this meeting, the Magisterium has a plan to uh, interrogate a witch that they captured. Which we do uh, get in the book, and uh, except in the book, what it is is um, Serafina Pecola just comes to save the witch, and then we catch like the trail end of her uh, interrogation, tail end, not trail end, tail end. Uh, and in this, we obviously we get to see the plan before they actually interrogate her, which is new. Yeah, so again, like, like I mentioned off the bat, we kind of get a very different Will. Uh, in the show, he wants to team up with Lyra, Lyra and Pan right away. And I'm kind of here for it. Like, uh, Will was really grumpy in the book early on, and he and took some time to, like, to get warmed up to. And I guess putting him in the first season and showing him being kind of grumpy there gave us time to warm up to him. So he's already kind of like warmed up to Lyra right away. I'm interested to see the differences they could do in this show. Uh, like for the most part, I'm okay with it. I, I, I point them out, and it's just because I'm more familiar with the books. Uh, and I, I feel like just talking about the differences is interesting. And I'm okay with the differences uh, for the most part, as long as they stay true to the major themes and points of the books. Uh, so as long as they do that, I, I, I feel like they can, they can make these changes, and I can still be okay with it. They're also very quick to get to the point that these two are both from different worlds, and uh, Chitagatsi is neither of their world, which, like, fair enough, I guess, since the audience is already aware of that, but, like, it's the, pretty much the very first thing they talk about. They also introduced this thing, so I, I, I missed what it was, but they introduced this thing where the witches have, like, something inside of them. Like, it looks like a branch or a leaf or something. I don't know. Maybe they have the, they have the pine, in, like, inside of them. And I missed uh, what Mrs. Coulter said it was, but it was weird. And that's, I think, mostly new. That's not, um, that's not anything that I remember from the books. But it's been a long time since I've read them, so maybe it is. Uh, we go back to Chitagazzi, and we meet uh, Lady Liana Mormont who plays uh, Angelica, and her sister, Paola. In the book, uh, the sister is Paolo. It's just, it's, I'm going to be interested to see if there's a story reason for that switch. Uh, there probably isn't, and it's not that important, so I don't care, you know, do, do whatever. <laughs> it's hard to tell, too, if they are rushing just based off the first episode, but from what I could tell watching it, it seems like they're rushing through the plot so far. There's a lot of stuff that they got through in the first episode that spans across multiple chapters, which is, like I said, is weird because The Subtle Knife is the shortest of the books. But it, like, it, like I mentioned, maybe they're speeding through The Subtle Knife to get some of Amber Spyglass into the second season. Who knows? We then hop back over to The Witches, where uh, Serafina Pecola is giving Lee Scoresby, played by Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, some protection, because he's going on a quest to find Stanislas Grumman to try and get his help with saving Lyra. I don't, I don't remember what spurred like his interest in Stanislas Grumman from the first season, but he's going to find him. And we know from last season that Grumman is uh, actually John Perry, Will's father. 
who many will know as uh, Moriarty from Sherlock. We also meet uh, Ruta Scotty in this scene. She's a another witch queen of a different clan. And for some reason, they have her leading the rescue mission on the interrogated witch uh, instead of Serafina. Uh, in the book, Serafina just goes and does it herself. And then in this, I, I guess Ruta Scotty does it. Will uh, makes Lyra an omelet. Book fans probably you know squeal a little bit here. It's a powerful moment for us. <laughs> and uh, may I say that I love how much we are seeing pantalimon so far. Seems like maybe they got a budget boost, or they listened to some of the critiques about the lack of demons. So far, at least. Though I don't really know if anyone else complained about it, if it's just me. But <laughs> I'm glad to see more of them. Uh, the scene itself of the witch rescue was really cool. We get to see the witch doing some cool stuff. Uh, still weird that they took it from Serafina, but you know what? Whatever. Uh, it's cool. And uh, the weird, like, priest guy gets stabbed, which is neat. And this is a point uh, of the episode where, again, I noticed that they seem to be rushing. Because there's a scene uh, where the kids from Chittagatsi are attacking a cat. And that comes much later on in the book. Like, much later. So we've, if we're already to that point, it's, it's their speed. Uh, but we get to see a nice little scene of Will and Lyra teaming up to save the cat. And I just... The thing I noted here is, like, I feel like we won't be in Chittagatsi for very long if we continue at this rate. Whereas in the book, we're in say for a large chunk of it. We hop back to Mrs. Coulter and a uh, bald goatee priest who are like standing over a uh, creepy bald priest. And we get to see like more machinations of Mrs. Coulter, more of like her her being sneaky behind the scenes. Um in the book, she's much more of a background character for Subtle Knife until she makes her appearance like about halfway through. But in this, they're showing more of what she's up to, and uh, we know that she's further on the path of hearing the witch say Lyra's name and stuff. So she's got more of a plan now, and she's up to something, uh, which is fun to see. Uh, Lyra convinces Will to take her to his Oxford, despite the danger that probably awaits him there. After the accident where Moxie killed the dude, uh, Moxie's his cat. Best moment of the episode, though, is when Pan turns into a red panda. It's it's friggin' adorable. They also introduce kind of a, an interesting story beat to this, where Lyra is a bit weary of the alethiometer. In the books, uh, she kind of relies on it too much, so I like that they're doing this. In the show, she's questioning it because, like, she she's doubting it because it never told her what Azriel planned to do with Roger. To be fair, she never asked what Azra what Azriel planned to do with Roger, and if she asked, it probably would have told her. Unless the dust wanted it to happen, then it then it wouldn't have. I'm not sure how that would work, but I like I like that she's weary of it. I like, too, that they're kind of making Will getting the knife to be like a destiny thing. Like, they're foreshadowing it, and it ends with a cliffhanger uh, that he might be old enough to see a specter. Because there's, like, one, like, creeping up behind him. 
Which makes sense, because he's been, uh, as I understand it from the trailer, I did end up watching one of them, he's been aged up in this to 15 or 16, I think. So he very well might be able to see specters, because I know um, there are some, some things in the book later characters where like a 16-year-old can see it and, and, and gets attacked by one. So I look forward to seeing more of that. At the end of this first episode, I wanted to do a fun little segment called Chapter Coverage. So, uh, where I just kind of talk about, you know, what, what chapters the episode covered. So, chapter one of The Subtle Knife was covered in season one, across a few episodes. Uh, two and three, for the most part, was covered in this episode. There's some things they missed, some things they skipped, but for the most part they were covered. And then also part of chapter nine, which is the, the cat scene. And then we can get into episode two, which I watched, you know, shortly well, a week after this one, but I want... Yeah, anyway. <laughs> uh, again, right off the bat, we have a quick pace. Right at the beginning of the episode, we go right into Will's world. Like, no muss, no fuss. Pain is stuffed in a bag, and we're on our way. In the book, they decide to be really stealthy and, like, careful about going into Will's world. Mostly because Will is a very paranoid person, but also because they don't want the kids in Chitagatse to know about, like, the... the gateways to other worlds and this they just kind of go they just show up and then they're like you want to you want to leave now all right cool <laughs> we get a nice uh book homage though when lyra almost gets hit by a car because uh, in the book she runs right through the gate once they get there and she gets hit by a car because she obviously doesn't know about cars uh right away we see lord boreal is on to them and he's like kind of watching them from his car once they come out of the gate as i guess he's just kind of been you know, chilling near the gate, there to say what's up. Like I said in the in in the book, you don't really know who he is until much later after he is introduced to Lizzie, which is Lyra's alias. Um, so in in the in the book, you do meet him at Mrs. Coulter's party, which is where you kind of meet him for the first part in season one. But then he disappears and he's gone. And you don't know that he is uh, this other guy in the world, like in Will's world, until she remembers later that he, that she met him in at a party. Um, so you you have like multiple appearances by him before you realize that he is from Lyra's world and he's up to something. And in in this case, we know, but they that but they don't. So I guess that's where the. Um, the interest will come. And we get some more random uh, magisterium stuff, because like I said, we don't really get much of the magisterium POV until the third book. They're kind of there. I guess the Mrs. Coulter killed the uh, creepy bald one, so that bald one with a goatee can uh, like take his place and stuff. I don't really care about about any of that plot line, but it's it's happening and it's also there. Uh, Lyra also, uh, uses the alethiometer to ask if she can trust Will, and she finds out he's a murderer, and they have a discussion about it, and it's much briefer and to the point than it is in the book. Uh, in the show, Will just gets mad that she called him a murderer, and he leaves to go see his mum. Rather, he watches her through a window, but, you know, he still sees her. 
There's another scene with uh, Ruta Scotti and Serafina where we get some more vague details about the prophecy and such. Uh, mostly stuff that wasn't in this book and those parts of it that were not were not until like much later on in book or in book three. So yeah. Um, the prophecy is essentially it's pretty much saying that, that Lyra is Eve. So if you're familiar with the story of, of Adam and Eve, you, uh, you'll, you'll, I guess, get the why the church is worried about her based on what Eve did. But, um, yeah, I'll just talk about it. So spoilers. <laughs> uh, so Eve is known, I guess, because she, like, ate the apple she let sin into the world and uh essentially the prophecy is that that lyra is going to bring sin back into the world and and well that's the way the church sees it the everyone else uh the, like the witches and stuff see it as like freedom that that eve brought them freedom and that lyra is going to bring them freedom uh and all that end of spoilers so lyra goes uh to Oxford, so Will's Oxford, to try to meet a scientist or something to that can explain dust to her, which is where she goes to meet Mary Malone, uh, who becomes a, a fairly major character. And her meeting her is much easier in the show, as she kind of just walks right into the college, whereas in the book she has to use her silver tongue, and her last name is Lyra Silver Tongue, uh, to sneak past the guards and stuff. Um, I don't like that they removed that because, like, Lyra's lies and silver tongue is a big part of her character. But I do love the scene with Mary because um, the alethiometer told her not to lie to Mary, so she doesn't. And she's so matter of a fact. Well, she's telling her everything. She's like, Leanne, I'm from a different universe, and, you know, I'm here to learn about some dust, and uh, <laughs> my father blew a hole between the worlds, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, that's, that's tight. We get some more Magisterium stuff, and uh, we get to see Lord Boreal, who is now back in Lyra's world, and he goes to see Mrs. Coulter. Uh, I really enjoy this actor, so I'm super okay with seeing so much more of him than, than we did in the books, so that's cool. Dude from season one uh, with the snake, the witch council guy, uh, Dr. Lincilius. He goes to speak with the Magisterium because obviously the witch is like, you tortured one of us. And then the Magisterium's like, you stabbed our like creepy old guy. And he's there to kind of like answer for that. And they hint that demon settling, like so that they stop changing form, uh, is very significant. Which I can't remember if they really address it in season one. I think they might have, but this is the first time they mention it this season, so I wanted to to point it out. We get a really angry church guy who seems to like be personally victimized by witches. And I think it's pretty clear from like his speech that he was uh, seduced by a witch or he wanted to be because he's taking like whatever Dr. Lincilius is saying really personally. I'm usually good with names, but I can't be bothered to note the magisterial people's names and Mostly because I can't care, like I don't care, but also because I can't spell them, so. While Lyra is meeting with uh, Mary Malone, 
Will goes to see his dad's lawyer because he wants to get the rest of like the uh, the money that was left to them so he can support his mum. And we learn here another addition to the show uh, that Will apparently has grandparents that are alive, uh, his dad's parents, and the lawyer gives him uh, their address. I had a feeling that they were probably fake grandparents, but it seems like they're real, so <laughs> it's hard to say. They still could be fake, but I think they're real. Anyways, they uh, they control like the trust with his mom, like they're the two separate sides. So like, if he wants the money from the trust, he needs one of them to give him the okay, and he's not going to go to his mom because she's not well. So he goes to the grandparents, and there's a whole thing there. Uh, we learn like they don't like his mom and that they think she's just after money and stuff and they are somehow like in some way working with Boreal it's 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 not super clear anyways uh we go back to Lyra and Mary and they're having a nice chat about dust and how it's dark matter and it comes from original sin and all that so yeah that's the that's the thing I mentioned earlier um when Eve bit the apple, essentially, she released dust into the world. Uh, not literally biting the apple, but you know what I mean. Like, her act of defiance introduced dust into the world, and that's why the Magisterium hates it and stuff. It's essentially free will, and, and you know, all that. Uh, we learn that Mary Malone's made, like, a cave. She calls it a cave. It's a fancy computer thing where she communicates with dark matter through pictures uh, and Lyra goes on it and she manages to actually get it to show like real pictures instead of pictures that Mary couldn't decipher and she translates what's it saying to Mary to like telling her that she's important and she has something important to do then Lyra bounces uh, it's very much like the book scene uh, except in the book I, if I remember correctly Lyra can manage to turn uh, the dark matter like on the screen into words or she or she gives Mary Malone the idea and Mary does it later I can't remember anyway she leaves to go meet Will and we go to the gardens the botanical gardens and we see the bench oh the bench it hurts you'll all see if you if we get to the end of the show you'll see the bench <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, so we get more vague hints on what is to come from the alethiometer. And we get a lot more church stuff as we see the magisterium is kind of like up to no good. As I think they try to blow up the witches. It isn't super clear. And I don't think they blew anyone up because I, like, I only know two witches and they both seem to be fine because we see them after. So like... I guess they just blew up the witch's home? It's, I don't know. I'm not sure. But that's kind of where this episode ends. Um, I didn't really review the first episode. But it was good. It was just fast. It was rushed. Uh, and then this second episode, I feel like this won't be a great episode for people who aren't familiar with the book. As uh, the first season itself, I don't think, was super clear on dust. Or on, on like getting across that dust is really important. If I remember correctly, I don't believe they did. Uh, and this episode is kind of all about that. So I think people might be confused. And like, why, like, why are we talking so much about dust? 
because they just didn't do a super good job of, of making it seem important. And I think the book fans might not like it as much because it kind of speeds through all the scenes that like we we love from the book to focus mostly on new scenes. Uh, like we don't get to see Lyra and Will bonding at, at a movie theater and getting hot dogs or like all this stuff is, is kind of cut out for these new like magisterium scenes and stuff. I'd give it like a six or seven out of ten, probably more of a six, I think, just because it was fine. I could have done with more, well, I, like I just said, I could have done with more book stuff than, than this new stuff, so that might just be me. And we're back for our fun little segment uh, called Chapter Coverage. Uh, this episode, if I remember correctly, covered parts of Chapter 4 and parts of Chapter 5, but it left a lot of both of them out and that was pretty much it uh chapter wise everything else was new stuff so that was cool i guess so that's everything for his dark materials until uh until episode three this weekend but i guess this, this went really quickly um so i guess you know what we'll also we'll make this like a double a kind of double header, and we'll also talk about the first season of The Mandalorian. Not, not no, sorry, the second season of The Mandalorian. I'll give like a brief, um, like I did for, for His Dark Materials, my brief thoughts on season one. Um, I thought season one was really good. I enjoyed a lot of the stuff we got lore-wise in the greater, the greater world. Um, I'm not super big on the kind of like single standalone adventure episodes where like the, the, the kind of really self-contained episodes, they're not really something that I like very much. I prefer like a more large, all-encompassing story, I guess. And a lot of season one is those kind of single standalone episodes at least more until the end. Uh, like, there's some stuff that kind of branches throughout, but then there there's interspaced episodes where it's just, like, random little things. Uh, so I, my, my, my feeling on it went up and down a lot to, like, really loving the show, to just thinking it was good. Um, there was only one episode I thought was kind of bad, the sixth episode of season one I didn't really like, which was the, the one with the prisoner ship. But uh, for the most part, the first season I think is really good. My only complaint about it, other than what I just said, was that how, how short the episodes are. Uh, I'm pretty steadfast in my belief that if you're going to have a season of eight to ten episodes, and they had eight, that your episodes should be 40 minutes to an hour. Uh, where most episodes of The Mandalorian were 25 to 30 minutes. They come up on Disney Plus as being 35 or 40, but that's just because of the very long credits with the cool... We get to see some cool art at the end, but it's it's still five minutes of credits, like so it's not, not super great. The second season uh, kind of picks up where the first ends, so The Mandalorian... Uh, Jin, is his name Jin or Din? I can never remember. Uh, D 
Din, Din to Jaren. Uh, I'll just call him the Mandalorian. <laughs> has been tasked by the armorer to uh, to take Baby Yoda to his people, or to the Jedi. Uh, yeah. It's it's. They do this weird thing, so. I get that they're trying to stick to what the uh, original movies did, which were the original movies were like, oh, it's been so long since the Jedi were around, so they're a myth now, and nobody knows about them. And I get that the Mandalorians try to stick to that. But the prequels, Clone Wars, and Rebels, like everything that's come out since then has kind of set up the fact that, that like this wasn't really the case. The Jedi were always still kind of around. Most people knew them. Like, especially someone like him, someone like the Mandalorian, would know... There'd be no reason why he wouldn't know who the Jedi are. Instead, he doesn't know. He calls them, like, sorcerers, and he doesn't know anything about them, and it's weird. And I don't much care for it. But we'll get into some spoiler stuff uh, for this. So if you if you have not watched the first three episodes, then then you should get out of here, and then and then come back later. But get get out of here for now. Um, so the first three episodes of The Mandalorian season two are a mixed bag for me. I did not like the first episode very much. I thought it was fine uh, up until the ending, which I thought was cool. I did not like the second episode at all. Um, it's probably one that I'll never watch again, which is weird for me because usually I've... Uh, normally I've watched every episode at least twice. Uh, and then the first two episodes of season two I've, I only watched once, and I have no intention of watching the second one again. Uh, I did not like it. The third one was great. The third one is part of that larger world lore that I was talking about that I love because we get the introduction of Bo-Katan in live action. So Bo-Katan is a character who uh, is fairly well known from Star Wars The Clone Wars, the the animated show. Uh, She appears quite a bit and then she also uh, later appears in Star Wars Rebels. And she's quite significant because she is the sister of, like, a woman that Obi-Wan loved, that Darth Maul killed. And we get all this stuff about the Darksaber. Like, a lot of a lot of the Mandalorian stuff comes from Clone Wars and Rebels, uh, which a lot of people don't, I think, appreciate. It's another thing, too, about, like, the first episode. Uh, <laughs> the first episode ends... So, in the first episode, we meet a guy who has Boba Fett's armor, and it's not Boba Fett. Uh, it's Cobb Vanth, played by Tim- Timothy Oliphant. And then, eventually, he agrees to give uh, Din the armor back, because uh, Din doesn't like that a non-Mandalorian is wearing it. Anyways, um, it ends with a, we get to see someone overlooking Din as he's driving away with the armor. Uh, we get like see like this scarred figure, and anyone who is like a major Star Wars fan who is who is quite familiar with Episode Two, who is quite familiar with the Clone Wars, who is quite familiar with Rebels, knew 
immediately who this was. <laughs> and I've talked to people who aren't super familiar with either of those things or any of the things I listed, and they didn't know who it was. It's Boba Fett. <laughs> Surprise. Uh, Boba Fett got out of the, um, the Sarlacc pit, and he's coming to get his armor. And anyone who is super familiar with uh, Clone Wars and stuff is, is quite used to what Tamar, Tamar Morrison looks like. So, like, as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, that's Tamar Morrison. So either that is Boba Fett, or it's a uh, another one of Jango's clones, so another one of the clone troopers, but it's... Odds are it's Boba Fett. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's cool. Uh, I'm, I like that they finally found some canon way to bring him back. And then season... Th uh, the third episode, as I talked about introduces more Mandalorians, so we get to see Bo-Katan, as I mentioned, and two of her people, and uh, they they kind of work alongside with the Mandalorian, and in return, the, Mandal uh, the Bo-Katan tells the Mandalorian where to find a Jedi, and he directs him to Ahsoka Tano. Now, Ahsoka Tano is one of the best Star Wars characters to come out of the last, like, 15 years. Ahsoka Tano was introduced in the Clone Wars as uh, Anakin Skywalker's Padawan learner. Everyone hated her for, like, the first year to two years of Clone Wars, and then she became everyone's favorite. <laughs> and and she, we got to catch up with her in Rebels. We got to see, like with the, the newer season of Clone Wars that just came out, we have to see her the end of her story uh, in the prequel era. And then now we're going to get to see her live action. Uh, I know that she's being played by Rosario Dawson, which is dope. I love Rosario Dawson. Uh, it's going to be weird to hear Ahsoka with a different voice, as, as it's always been. This, she's always had the same voice throughout everything. But I'm really looking forward to, to seeing her and seeing what they do with her in the show in a post-Empire world. Uh, and I'm curious if this means that they're going to bring in other parts. Because we know, like, Rebels ended with a mystery as to, as to where Ezra was, uh, who's another Jedi. So are they going to bring Ezra forward? Are they going to... Are we going to get to see, like, a young Luke? Uh, is Ahsoka going to die? And that's why we never see her in the sequel trilogy. Like... There's, there's so much stuff that they could do and explore in between these two, uh, like the two time periods, and, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping we get Ahsoka next episode. I don't think we will. Uh, the next episode is directed by Carl Weathers, who he plays a character in the show, and I cannot remember who it is. But uh, episode five is directed by Dave Filoni, and it was written by Dave Filoni. So I would imagine that is the episode that is going to introduce Ahsoka. Um, so we're probably going to have filler next week and then Ahsoka in week f uh, the week after. So November 27th. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll know tomorrow whether uh, we have Ahsoka or not, but I don't think we're going to. Which is sad. Like, give me Ahsoka as soon as possible. <laughs> but yeah, uh... For the most part, I, I was, was not super feeling the second season, and then the third episode got me super hyped.
So I'm interested to see what they do for the next five. Because there's only eight episodes again this season, and they're doing the thing again. Ugh. The first episode was 55 minutes, so I was like, ooh, yes, we're finally back on track. The second episode was 45 minutes, so I was like, okay, we're shrinking, but it's fine. And then the third episode was 30 minutes, and I was like, ugh, no. <laughs> so hopefully they start to increase in length again. We'll see. But yeah, Baby Yoda's still cute, still being a real cute guy. I got him in my underwears. Um, Pedro Pascal's still good. He's kind of useless, though. Like, if he didn't have his best car, homie would be super dead by now. <laughs> but um, I do like one. Yeah, that's another thing, actually, about the third episode that I did like um, is we actually got to see him being super competent for a time, which was pretty dope. Yeah, other than that, I don't think there's really anything else to, to mention. Uh, I know as soon as everyone saw the trailer... Ah, leg cramp. I know as soon as everyone saw the trailer, we were hoping that Sasha Banks, uh, who is, who's a wrestler uh, with the WWE, uh, she would appear in the trailer, and everyone kind of assumed that she was going to be a Sabine. Because for those who don't know who aren't familiar with her, she usually has uh, colored hair. It's usually either pink or blue. And she had her hood up. I think everyone kind of assumed if she had her hood down, she'd have the pink hair. Uh, as Sabine does. Because Sabine also has the colored hair. And then, uh, especially when it, it came out that Bo-Katan was going to be in episode 3. Then people were like, oh, then Sabine's definitely going to be there. She's not Sabine. She's someone else. But holding out hope that Sabine shows up. <laughs> in some form. But yeah, I'm looking forward to finding out more about the, uh, the Darksaber. I'm looking forward to seeing Soka. I'm looking forward to seeing more if um, now that now that the Mandalorian kind of knows that he's part of a cult, if he's going to stick to it, if he's going to stick to his creed, or if he's going to kind of like join the other Mandalorians. Uh, and just to see if we're going to kind of get like a, a Mandalorian kind of civil war. All this kind of stuff, I think. It, it, there's, a, there's a lot of potential, and I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, hopefully... Next time, I think Matt's two weeks are almost up, if I remember correctly. So he should be back soon, and then we'll be able to do the other Batman ones, and and maybe I'll finally watch. Uh, <laughs> I'll finally watch the movies I'm supposed to watch. We'll see. But anyways, uh, thanks for listening. As always, you can follow my Twitter. It's uh, Eric Mediocre. Twitter.com slash Eric Mediocre, or at Eric Mediocre. Uh, and yeah, you could follow me there or give any suggestions or, or constructive feedback there. And, 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 you know, that'd be dope. Have a good night. Bye.